Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter in our episode, our sleepy episode today on sleep. So everybody stay awake when you hear our show, okay? Uh, it'll be a good show. A lot of interesting subjects around sleep and all the clinical manifestations around it as well. So stay tuned. We've got a great crew that um, helps us with all of our our productions and our research, Aaron, Aaron Collins and Maddie Levine-Wolf do our wonderful background research that gives Clarence and I some, you know, good ideas what to, what to talk about, especially if we don't know anything about the subject matter. And also we have Matthew Campbell, who's our production manager, takes care of all the great logistics in order to make sure that these shows and also our website is uh, successful and beautiful looking. It's looking really, really good. Clarence Jones is with us with a, a nice background picture of the Golden Gate Bridge on his site here, which is kind of cool. Uh, so welcome to, to Clarence, great colleague. We're having a lot of fun doing these shows, uh, talking to a lot of great people who really know their subject matters really, really well. So thank you to you. Human Partnership is our is our community sponsor, and thank you to them. You can see everything about them on our our, our website, and I encourage our listeners to check check them out. So thank you to everybody, and now also thank you to Dr. Charlene McAvoy, who's from uh, Health Partners. She's a uh, internal medicine specialist in lung and sleep health. And we're going to be talking a lot about sleep in a second here. Um, special interest in obstructive sleep issues. And, um, and I can talk to that, okay, personally. All right. And we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, principal research investigators at Health Partners Research. Uh, has great achievements. Bush Bush Medical Fellowship, top doctor, top doctor noted in uh, Minnesota Monthly Magazine for the years 21, 22, and, and is a great colleague of a colleague of ours who's been on this show previously, Dr. Tom Cocky. So Tom, thank you for, for recommending having Charlene. So welcome to our show. It's really nice to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. This yeah, it's great. Fun. Yeah, yeah it will. All right. So, all right. We could, there's a, a zillion questions that we could ask. All right. So, let's start out with, you know, some simple questions. Why, you know, for everybody, why is sleep important? <laughs> let's just start there. I would say it's like sleep is an imperative. If we don't sleep, we don't live. I mean, it's just, it's a part of our cycle, our life. It's, um, yeah, we we know when they when they did an experiment on rats and wouldn't let them sleep. I think it took was it three days and then they died. Um, so it you know you need to sleep. Um, it, we think it's a time where we probably retool. It's a time where um, that well we know you now now research has been growing on it. We know like during our deep sleep, that's when our brain gets washed. We know that's a time when like some of the the substances that, for example, that we think may accumulate to cause Alzheimer's get cleared is during some of our deeper stages of sleep. During REM sleep, which is, I know we call it our dream sleep. It's a time when 
we actually look like we're awake by our brain waves, but our muscle tone is down and it and it is a time when we think there's probably some some components working on our overall systemic inflammation. Like our bodies just need to retool. So that's how we were born. That's how we are. That's part of life. You know, we are awake and we sleep. Um, and it's an extra, extremely important. Um, it's actually, they call it an imperative. We need to sleep. So let me add. So, you know, you know, when you ask kids about this, it's interesting. When I when I ask one of my kids about this, um, they're they're aware that you know they have a dog for instance each of them has a dog and they sleep does every animal sleep does every bird sleep does every insect sleep is this hmm. just inherent in life in all in all living things that somehow or other either we sleep or we slow down or something yeah yeah we do you know look at bears hibernation but everyone has maybe a different pattern you know we are you know, some people sleep at night. You know, we, we um, I mean, some organisms sleep at night and some are like, don't sleep at night, they sleep during the day. So almost everything has some sleep. Some may have short bouts of sleep rather than, you know, our consolidated sleep that we have as human beings. But every every or living organism sleeps um, and rests that I am aware of, except I can't really talk about well, plants, don't they? Wasn't there some talk out there that plants might actually have a sleep? Uh, sleep cycle of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We were at, you know, we took our grandkids to the zoo and um, the um, the grizzly bears were like sound asleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were like in this little cave out at the Minnesota Zoo there and they were sound. And boy, did they look peaceful. I mean, they were just in their zone. It was just really, really cool to sleep. All right. So um, let's talk about like infants, you know, like we, you know, my wife and I, we have a a young, a young granddaughter. She's about uh, eight months old now and she sleeps a lot. Okay. (laughs) So what, what's the story with how, how much sleep we need. Right. You know, know, and that varies through our life. Um, You know, as far as from infants, infants sleep a lot. I mean, like 18 hours of the day, they a lot, and they have a lot more of that deep sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just, I mean, they cycle, you know, and as they, as we age, then the sleep. So infants are sleeping about 18 hours. Then it gets to be around, uh, was it like 10 to nine to 10 hours for maybe uh, toddlers and such. And then, then when you hit adolescence, it lengthens out again. It can be, you know, up to like nine, maybe even 10 hours. So they never get that. That's why they're all tired. Um, um, and then when we hit adulthood, they're thinking between seven and eight hours of sleep is really considered optimal. Nine is like the uppermost limit. There are rare long sleepers who can sleep maybe 12 hours and that's still normal for them. If they don't get their 12, they are not, they don't feel restored. But our sleep changes through, through, you know, our, as we age. Um, what is kind of interesting, once we get to like adolescence on, or even actually even in, you know, um, you know, toddlers and younger, younger children um, is, is the REM sleep 
kind of starts becoming constant. It's like every 90 minutes of the night, you have a cycle of REM with it getting longer, you know, the longer the session until we get, uh, you know, the, the longest session of our dream or REM sleep is right before we wake up. And that actually is maintained throughout our life cycle, even when we're older. Um, REM really maintains itself for healthy sleep. And even when we get older, um, uh, maybe our overall sleep time comes down because it's being interrupted by, you know, pain, chronic pain and other things that can maybe disrupt sleep yeah. as we age. It's still, you know, you can have good sleep and we're looking at seven hours, um, um, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep being, um, you know, optimal um, and it's attainable, but and, and we're probably what diminishes as we age. And then that kind of fits with that whole theory that they're studying right there in the whole neuroscience world. Um, uh, you know, your stage three, four, the deep sleep starts diminishing as we age, maybe a little bit more in men than in women. Mm -hmm. um, and, lot, um, and our drugs can affect that stage as well. And that, you know, is again, where they think where all the brain gets cleaned up. So, you know, as we age, that's where the whole dementia effects may be mm. coming in and how sleep plays a role in that. Um, so Cl Clarence, you got you got something to say here. I do, I do. Dr. Charlene, I am excited to uh, have you as uh, as as well as Stan as a guest because you know this this particular topic is of special interest to me. So I'm gonna do three different things. I'm gonna try not to be too global. But uh -huh. uh, uh, one is that uh, uh, I want to talk about sleep disorders. Mm -hmm. Because that's one of the things that, you know, even I, I have a sleep, I have sleep apnea. Right. And so I have to use this machine and, and, and things like that. And my wife, uh, you know, there she, it is. Yep. She, <laughs> she, she kept saying I was snoring too much. So I, I had to yeah. go see the doctor. But anyway, that, that's the result of that. But I, we, we recently, about two years ago, we did a, a, a survey in the community around COVID and substance abuse. And of 500 people. And what we found out was, you know, what were people really struggling with? There were two things that came up. One was relationships. The other one was sleep. Mm -hmm. Sleep was a major, major disorder uh, that, that they were having. And the third thing I want to talk about is this, is that uh, American Heart Association used to have Life Simple 7. Now they've got Life Essential 8 and they've added sleep. Sleep. So finally. What's mm -hmm. happening with our conversations around this topic that's causing so much, uh, I'm not going to say interest, but, but it's causing so much discussions. Um, well, you know, we used to, we really devalued sleep in our society, right? We just thought, oh, you know, you know, you don't need to sleep, sleep, you know, we just got to get our work done. We got to work. We got to work. And what we found is that it's really had a, a huge effect on our health. You know, probably insomnia is the most common sleep disorder. And that's really what happened during COVID. Um, during COVID, we saw more and more insomnia. And we also saw the development of more um, delayed sleep phase. So like circadian rhythm disorder started happening, especially in our adolescents and other adults where people were going to bed later and later because they're on their electronics, they're stuck at home, they didn't know what, you know, they weren't being as physically active and, and physical activity is critical for good quality sleep and light and cycles like that are as important for good quality sleep and you're indoors all the time, you're stressed, um, that's all gonna affect our sleep. So people were staying up longer, sleeping in later. I mean, everything really did get, get 
um, messed up. So insomnia probably was the biggest probably complaint, um, uh, one of the biggest problems during during COVID. And, and you know, in substance, you were talking about substance use, that's going to actually lead to more disrupted sleep. It may help people get to sleep, but their, re- but their sleep is more disrupted, especially later at night. And that also ties into obstructive sleep apnea. Um, obstructive sleep apnea, you know, too, if people were being less active and put on their COVID-19, they gained weight, we were going to be seeing more um we're going to be seeing more obstructive sleep apnea because there's a definite correlation between weight um, and sleep apnea, though there also are anatomic features people have. Not everyone who has sleep apnea is, is overweight, but there's also a tie between substance abuse, specifically more that we can have studied is alcohol, um, is that alcohol leads to more relaxation of the upper airway, can lead to weight gain, and it definitely aggravates and um, aggravates obstructive sleep apnea. And on top of that, it's such a big disruptor of sleep, um, you know, and it, especially the latter half of the night. So a lot, I mean, yeah, sleep disorders were huge. And now in a, during the, the, the pandemic, but even prior to that, they've been doing, we've been seeing more and more an association between insufficient sleep, poor quality sleep, and many other health um, disorders. And a lot of it has to do with really the inflammation, you know, a lot of our health problems like heart disease, um, di- you know, diabetes, um, um, what other, whether uh, actually waking in general, cardio and cardio, well, cardiovascular disease, all that is like associated with, oh, actually lung disease, asthma, I can go on the road, go down the line, are inflammatory disorders. So we have inflammation. So like in the cardiovascular, it's in the, the vessel, blood vessels. And and sleep is really a big part of diminishing that inflammation. And if people aren't getting good enough quality sleep or their sleep is being you know, ups- interrupted by air, when they have obstruction, like the airway collapses, they can't get air in, their oxygen level goes down, it leads to an arousal, which makes their heart rate go up. You have this cycle of disruption that the body does not like. Um, it... Um, it led to more systemic inflammation, and therefore that's how it's associated with, with heart disease. There's also weird hormonal things that happen with, with disrupted or insufficient sleep. We have these little proteins, leptin and ghrelin, that make us feel full or, or make us feel hungry. They get flipped during um, with disrupted or insufficient sleep. So we're hungry more. <laughs> we don't get full as easy. And so it leads to more weight gain and then more inflammation. And thus, then they have more at risk for diabetes. I mean, it's like this whole cycle. Cycle, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's like, like I said, it's like an impair. Uh, it's like, it's an imperative. We need to sleep to to keep our bodies retooled and, and in balance. Um, but yeah. There's- so I, I have a, a couple. Yeah. You know, so I, I suffer, you know, for the listening audience here, I suffer from sleep apnea. I'm showing on our Zoom here you know, the mass that I use, okay? Um, and I've been using this for, I don't know, 10 years now, maybe or more. And um, I have gotten to the point where when I use it, um, it's very soothing. Mm-hmm. And it almost, 
you know, once you get used to it, and and yes, it takes a while to get used to putting a mask on if you if you use a mask, okay, <laughs> for your apnea. And we can talk about other options as well. But um after a while, you feel as though you're getting this fresh sense of air mm -hmm. continually in your in your system. And you're not being it's not obstructing anything, okay? Because I was suffering from apnea actual apnea and it is kind of it's it's kind of disturbing um where you feel like you can't get you know a breath of air okay until things kick kick in so um it's worth first of all it's worthwhile getting tested um and i and i would say that and underscore that if you feel as though um your sleep is is um I, there's a lot of snoring or or maybe your your partner notices that you're gasping get in get get tested because it's 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 worthwhile um if you need it for sure yeah. we so, call it the one elbow uh you know yeah the oh yeah you get, How many times you get elbowed at night exactly <laughs> yeah right 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 um you know, it's, is it an inconvenience? And the answer to that is, yes, it is. Okay, using a, uh, a CPAP machine um, is an inconvenience. It's just like, you know, even when you travel, you bring this with you and da 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 and, you know, and whatever. But <laughs> what's the you know the, the other side of the coin is not good so mm -hmm. you you get used to just okay take the machine wherever okay um all right let's so one thing on machines okay another there are other options for apnea do you want to talk about other options yeah to yeah. treat apnea yeah yeah so cpap is our gold standard you know but of course not everyone um tolerates it um and um, but probably when and when the probably the next one of the other most common ones is like we call it an oral mandibular advancing device. It's a, a device that's made specifically for your mouth and it it leverages your upper jaw against your, your lower jaw against your upper jaw and it by millimeters it advances your lower jaw and by doing so it stents it pulls your tongue forward and stents open your upper airway. And it is a reasonable it's really a reasonable option for many people who are, their apnea is worse on their back. They don't drop their oxygen too low when they sleep and they don't have what we call under breathing hypoventilation during REM sleep when their muscle tone goes down. It really is reasonable. And probably it's probably one of the first, it's probably the treatment of first choice for women who are perimenopausal or just postmenopausal, you know, who fall into that range because they women tend to have a higher hyperarousal state anyways, you know, we, we hear the kids. Um, and so when you put the CPAP on, a lot of women just couldn't tolerate the noise and everything with it. They found that the oral appliance is probably better in that, in that group as a, as a first option. So those are the first two. So whether other options are there out there, probably ever during, during the pandemic, there, uh, we had like this perfect storm that one of the major companies that makes CPAP machines called Philips Respironics yes. happened, 
this recall occurred. A recall. And it ended up being, it really wasn't a huge issue, but it ended up being, it, it was horribly disruptive in care. And then on top of it, we get all our chips from China. So there was also a shortage of machines to be made, to even be able to ramp up to make the machines because they're all so smart now that we can monitor people remotely to see if their treatment is effective for them. So um, Inspire, which had done a lot of research before, it's called a hypoglossal nerve stimulator. So it, it stimulates this nerve that controls the upper airway and the tongue. And it's an implant, it's like a little pacemaker that's put under the skin and it's done by an ears, nose, throat doctor. And it goes and onto the skin, into their, the back of their throat. And it sends like electronic pulses during sleep. They reprogram it for that, that will stimulate the upper airway so it doesn't over relax and collapse. It's an object, <clears throat> it's an option for people who only, who have obstructive apnea that's moderate to severe, that they're not too overweight, their BMI can't be over, I think 31, 32. Um, and their apnea and their airways collapse from front to back, not all the way around or from side to side. So it's really that positional apnea. It's an option for them and it you know, can reduce their apneas by about 50%. Um, you know, if you look at their data, you know, they, they most people like had a response to it, but it doesn't completely fix it. Hmm. Um, and um, it's a surgery, <laughs> you know, every surgery could have a complication. So it's not one of those things, I mean, like oral appliance and CPAP, or, you know, they're not a drug, they're not surgery, you know, yes, there could be some side effects, but it's not um, it's much less harm, potential harm, but Inspire is an option for some people. Some people um, who just couldn't stand CPAP have tried it. So that's the other one out there. There's other things that have been done, there's research done playing the didgeridoo, that circular breathing of playing the didgeridoo has mm. been reduced apnea uh, significantly by strengthening that upper airway, which is really pretty cool. Um, and I did a lot of that work in Europe. Um, I was a Swiss group and was published like in the British Medical Journal. So that one is a good, a good one. Um, sorry about that. Um, and um, another one um, um, is, is, you know, and, you, and there's some training, there's some tools online too. I think the University of Minnesota developed one too. It's for snoring. Um, that if that if you're doing the, the exercises of like basically breathing like the didgeridoo can strengthen your upper airway. There's research being done too using some blood pressure meds that are already, one's a blood pressure med and one is for bladder spasms that, that the combination seem to reduce the apneas during REM. Hmm. Um, and for people who got REM predominant apnea, that might be an option. That's in like phase three trials now, I believe at the NIH. Um, so there are some other work being done in it. Um, probably the, <clears throat> one of the things that we don't do though, you know, for the people who their apnea is more related to their weight, we, we know that a substantial reduction in their weight can lead to a market reduction in their apnea and also their other health related problems that could be with their weight. And we just don't do enough with that. You know, we, and that's one of the things I think, you know, we, we definitely need to do. We've got so much evidence on that. If we can address the obesity issue, we could actually be addressing the sleep issue. Yeah. Um, Clarence. Yep. So um, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. 
Okay, so when I was a little boy, I basically refused to sleep when there were some activities going on. Okay, and so I didn't want to miss anything. Yeah. And I knew that I moved from being tired to being fatigued. Okay, mm -hmm. so I want to talk about that. I want, I want to talk about those people that somewhat refuses to sleep until they're just worn out. What are the dangers of that type of behavior? Oh, this overall poor health, you know, fatigue isn't fun to have one. Uh, we see an association, you know, with insufficient sleep, you may see you no know, diabetes can develop with it. You know, we know heart disease is related to it. Uh, dementia, you know, down the road. I mean, this is for an adults. Um, um, with kids who don't want to sleep, they usually get a little hyper. And then they, and they, everyone thinks that they have, they're ADHD, but they're really not. They just didn't sleep enough. Or there's something that could be disrupting their sleep because kids can have, you know, bedwetting disorders or some sleep disorder, breathing from big tonsils and all that. So that kids get hyper um, when they're tired um, rather than um, fatigued, which we get later in life. And or ordinary. Yeah, ornery. Yeah, ornery. ornery. You know, this is this is quite quite interesting because yeah. I think that these are the kind of conversations that we need to be having. Because I, I don't I don't think I shouldn't say this, but uh, I, I just believe that many parents don't really understand why it's important for their kids to be asleep. When I was a kid, my parents made me go to bed at nine o'clock, and as I got a little bit older, I could go to bed at nine thirty. You know, but they but but I don't necessarily think that we have these kind of conversations. And people really understand the impact of the fatigue, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm just I'm very intrigued by this, and I'm, I'm hoping that we're able to to have oh. further conversations about this. If if you know, too, I'll go into like performance. So they won't their academic performance in kids would definitely go down. It's going to affect their academic performance in kids. It's going to affect their ability, their physical. If they're involved in sports, oh my gosh, not getting enough sleep. You know, they knew this. They know this in the NFL. They've been looking at it. I think it was the Philadelphia Eagles were the first ones to really incorporate sleep and addressing their sleep apnea, their the travel, like the the uh, you know the the jet lag and all that's effect on them. Yeah and their yeah. athletic performance. It's huge. Um, the time, the seconds that are added to your sprint, if you're not, don't get sufficient sleep. Um, athlete, I mean, across the board athletes, I mean, Canada has this great center for sleep. Um, I think it's in Calgary, Alberta, that, you know, everybody, every elite athlete or professional athlete kind of works with them to make sure, you know, when do, how soon should we travel? When should we be training according to what time they were going to be competing at? Um, you know, addressing all the issues around sleep because sleep is like one of the fundamentals, you know, sleep, hydration, nutrition, you know, and ice, <laughs> ice to take care of. Ice, right. Inflammation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you, you mentioned jet lag, which was actually one of the questions that we have here. I remember like, you know, my wife and I have traveled like to Israel. Okay. Which is, you know, it's an eight hour difference from here yeah. to, to Israel. All right. So it's interesting when we go, they're eight hours ahead of us. Okay. So when we go to Israel, jet lag doesn't really kick in. It's when you come back for us, 
it's like when we come back, it's like we're knocked out for, you know, a week. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, wow. you know, you wake up at, you know, three in the morning or, you know, it's like everything is off. So tell That's, me how. It's just the how, other way when you go east. It's harder on you than when you go west. Yeah, well, for uh, who knows. But, you know, but at any rate, but at any one way or the other, jet lag. Talk to us about jet lag and sleep. Uh, it's a circadian rhythm disorder and some people it affects more than others, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, like, you yeah. know some people can work nights and a lot of people can't, cause then it really affects your immune system. You know, they, you know, and for every time zone you cross, it's like a day to recover. So how many time zones are you crossing? You know, it, it can be quite a, uh, uh, a long time before you recover and get yourself back on that schedule. One of the, the important things are is to not like when you get a, like it'd be nice if you were traveling overnight. What time do you travel? Do you usually it take it? Varies. Yeah. It varies. You know, it's like yeah. when we when we get there, uh, we arrive normally during the day. Yeah. Flights and flights coming back leave late at night. So that when you arrive here, you're it, you're arriving. Yeah, here. and that's probably so like what's happening. Everything is yeah. everything is kind yeah. of that's why you're having up. more trouble. And and so when you do arrive, I mean, ideally you are sleeping on that flight. It's like because you're going to be arriving there during the day, but often that you can't, right? Right, right. So then you really need to try to keep yourself awake as long as you can, so you're going to bed closer to your typical time at night, um, you know, um, which was like, if you're not go to bed at nine, you go try to go to bed as close as you can to that time there, yeah. often impossible to do. And so it may take you a couple days to get there. Um, and that's kind of, kind of, because it is, it's a circadian rhythm disorder, right? Where yeah. it's, it's, we're kind of, you're just delayed. catching up. Yeah. 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 So, all right, let's talk about some some other things let's talk about um sleep what i call like sleep aids or medications let's yeah. talk about you know melatonin okay talk, what, what about it well you, you gotta first of all what is what it population then... you're using it for you know so so first of all the 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 treatment of choice for insomnia is cognitive behavioral therapy without a question because Basically, we got to teach ourselves to sleep again. Drugs in general really do disrupt our sleep stages. Sometimes they they you know have drug interactions. They um, um, and sometimes they would just make you think you had better sleep, but you really didn't. So that's mm. the one thing. There's always a downside. You put a drug in you, downside. So cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is key, and you can get it online everywhere. I mean, you know, there's access to it. Um, probably not enough, but definitely not enough, any access to anything that's easy, that's more work. And it is work. Okay. So the drugs out there. So melatonin depends upon which population we use high dose of melatonin for people who've got REM behavior disorder. Those are people who act out their dreams and move too much in their sleep. And I know in the, in the pediatric world, they use melatonin for in the, in people on the autism spectrum. They'll use it in that, in that they have seen benefit. Otherwise, 
melatonin is really has not shown to help people get to sleep. It's meant it's been shown in people around age 50, 55 and older to give you more sleep, give you a more consolidated sleep. So it's, and, and most of the research was done on very low dose extended release doses, like um, under three milligrams of time release or extended release melatonin. Um, if you, if, so that it's been, it's, it's out there everywhere. And the doses that you can get off the counter are just standard and they're really high. If you take it at the wrong time of your cycle, you know, melatonin has a cycle, you know, light goes to our supercosmic nucleus. And then that tells us to goes to the melt. It gives us our cycles. We got all these rhythms. You got circadian. We've got like there's ultradium and infradium. There's all these rhythms in us, you know, some are longer, like women's menstrual cycles, some are shorter, like our internal cortisol levels, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And our circadian rhythm is that little over 24 hours. It You could screw it up. You could either advance when you get sleepy, so you end up going becoming like someone who goes to sleep around eight o'clock, we call that advanced sleep, sleep phase syndrome, or get it delayed where you can't get to sleep till later. So you really gotta be careful with your melatonin it's so everywhere and they're advertising it and it it could use some fda regulation <laughs> yeah well yeah because well obviously you know for our listening audience you get melatonin over the counter yeah okay oh, and yeah. you can you know and, yeah. um so let me let's link some of these questions does melatonin help with for instance with jet lag yeah, you know, that'd be a tough one. I probably wouldn't use it because you'd really have to know your um, cycle and I probably wouldn't use it. Um, some people, so no, getting out and walking and being in the sunlight and exercising would help you, you know, right after yeah. you land is probably better staying hydrated on your flight, um, not having any alcohol when you fly um, and avoid your caffeine and all that Um that would probably be the smarter thing to do for jet lag. Some people will use things like Ambien. You know, Ambien will, um, you know, makes you forget that you're awake in a way. Um, um, not without its own side effects. Uh, it delays your first phase of REM too. Um, mm. But people will use it so they can sleep over that um, during their wait, their wait, because they know they're going to be arriving. They're leaving during the day and eight hours later, they'd be sleeping at home, but they're going to be in another, some another be awake yeah, during the day yeah. there. So they may use it. Um, whether that helps people or not is, you know, it varies from person to person, you know, yeah. that's the whole thing. Um, some people are more tolerant to it than others. But All right, what about, what about caffeine? You mentioned caffeine, stay away from caffeine or whatever, you know, when you're up flying, but in general, caffeine you know we know is, is a stimulant mm -hmm. and um so let let's talk about caffeine and sleep yep caffeine caffeine sure is a great stimulant in that morning <laughs> to help wake you up but if you take it too late in the day and again it varies from person but too late in the day like after three o'clock or even at some people afternoon it will it can keep you awake at night um and, and just because it's a, a, a stimulant. It also can do other things um, like give you acid reflux, which can disrupt sleep. Um, and so it can lead to other sleep disruptors. 
is caffeine itself inherently awful? No. If you can tolerate caffeine earlier in the day, you know, and you get sufficient sleep, fine. But you got to watch it. If you have trouble getting to sleep or staying asleep, it's good to avoid it after three. Don't, don't have any after three o'clock. You can switch other, to decaffeinated, you know. Right. Any other foods that, um, you know, we should, you know, you should look out for, you know, it's like yeah. some people have said, stay away from, you know, I don't know, chocolate, for instance. Chocolate's got a bit of a, you know, stimulant in it, caffeine. Yeah. yeah. So that can, that can do it. It also gives you more reflux. Eating too close to bedtime can be disruptive in okay. general. Give yourself a couple hours. Um, you know, again, I mentioned before alcohol, um, you know, now with, with cannabis and, medical marijuana, we, we haven't been able to study it a whole lot because it's, you know, federally, you know, restricted. And so we, it, we can't do too much research on something that is not considered legal federally um, on a state level, but, you know, the THC in it uh, in is what makes you sleepy. What would it, can it affect, um, our stages of sleep, we actually don't know as much about it. We're learning more. The CBD is more for the pain control. Um, yeah. So is, you know, I, I you know, if, if they, once, once it maybe gets nationally, uh, federally legalized, we can study and see its effect. Yeah, I'm sure it's yeah. got some, everything we, you know, anything we put in ours has got some side effect. You know, we just got to defend it. But it's, if we can live with it or not. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah, Clarence. Yes, yes. So, Doctor, um, what about narcolepsy? I had a, I had my father-in-law. I would, uh, we'd go to church, and he would, uh, he'd fall asleep. I know that he, he liked church, but somehow he would always fall asleep. Or we go <laughs> dinner, he'd fall asleep. You know, and um, oh, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, you know, uh, is there a danger there? I mean, you know, if you had this, I mean, can you be driving? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. If it's treated, you can be driving, but yeah, but it is dangerous. Oh, absolutely. It can be dangerous. Um, um, if it's not treated or recognized, you could suddenly fall asleep. So narcolepsy is this problem where there is, um, the lot lack of division between, you know, sleep and awake, you know, our REM and not, um, it's basically mm -hmm. REM and, um, being awake. Um, and so, um, and it has to do with this hormone orexin being deficient in it. Um, it's really, it's, it's, so it's a, it's a, uh, a problem that we now understand what's the, you know, what's is causing it. It's very rare. Um, mm -hmm. sometimes you can see it after traumatic brain injury. We saw an uptick in, um, maybe some viruses cause it. So maybe we'll start seeing it with COVID who knows, but we know influenza maybe play, plays a role in narcolepsy too. Um, and so, um, but it, it, and how we diagnose it is by really doing a sleep study to see, do you have any other sleep disorder that could be making you this sleepy? And once those are ruled out and you're not on any medications that can make you sleepy or, or hamper our ability to study the test because they suppress REM sleep, then we, we keep you for something that's called an MSLT, multiple sleep latency test where we keep you for a whole day in the sleep lab and we measure how fast you fall asleep. That's a measure of your hypersomnia. And then we look to see if on the on, on sleep onset, 
do we see REM in these naps? Do we see that you actually dream during these naps? Because that wouldn't be necessarily normal. Um, and so if in two of those naps, um, you had sleep onset REM, we'd say, and your clinical history supported and you weren't withdrawing from any, we can see this happen to if someone's withdrawing from maybe alcohol or narcotics, we can sometimes see that happen. Um, we would say, hey, you've got narcolepsy. So that's standard narcolepsy. Mm. Then there's narcolepsy with cataplexy. So there's two different, you know, there's narcolepsy without cataplexy and there's narcolepsy with cataplexy. And that cataplexy is when your anti-gravity muscles, when they're triggered, generally it's by laughter, but a strong emotion, you know, all of a sudden they go out. So some people at their knees buckle and they fall. Like you hear about the the guy, the painter who has narcolepsy is on a ladder and someone makes him laugh and boom, he collapses. Or um, some people may be just dropping things. Um, they can't hold on to anything or their jaw drops. There's a multiple different levels of the cataplexy, but the one that can lead to harm is if you fall off a building, yeah, or, yeah. right? And his la laughter is the big one. And this flips him right into REM sleep, Boop! you know? Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> They, I mean, they lose basically REM. They lose their muscle tone because during REM, it's a, usually we have atonia, which means we don't have any muscle tone. It goes way down, um, and we have a little, but goes way down from when we're awake. And that's what happens. They they lose their muscle tone, boom, and off they go. You know, and that, yeah, oh, that's gonna be they, harmful. Yeah. yeah, interesting when you say that. And I know this is off topic, but it reminds you of those little goats that if you scare them, they fall. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I mean, that's, that's exactly what what you're just yeah, 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 yeah. They got cataplexy. Oh. They, there are some dogs too. They start barking and <laughs> yeah, like pop. Okay, okay, okay. You know, speaking right. speaking, speaking of serious. dogs, more serious. I I gotta talk to you about my dog. So I we have a, a Labrador at least about seventy pounds, and boy, you know I'm I'm really jealous because he really really sleeps yeah. well. I mean, you know, you you're talking about muscle tone. It's like, you know, his his legs will will move like it looks like he's a like when he's sound asleep, like he's chasing a rabbit or something. <laughs> and and you can see his eyes roll. You can see the rapid eye movement. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, it's it's absolutely it's a, it's amazing. It really is. <laughs> well, listen, um, you know, we always like to to for, this is incredible information. We always like to end our shows with what should we as people as listening to this show what should we do um if okay or um what what would you recommend you know if people are perhaps experiencing any um sleep problems what would you recommend well i mean i you know i would seek help that's one you know yeah um, yeah yeah, you just seek help. You know, with sleep apnea, we're not really sending people to the labs all the time. Like it used to be, you have to be all wired up and they're expensive. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can really, when it's when we think someone has a high probability of having sleep apnea by their history or or things that we can see on exam or just their story, we call it, um, we can do a portable home study. There's all sorts of different portable homes and we can, you know, some places too, they even ship it to you and you can be diagnosed mm -hmm. with your apnea and then get on treatment pretty quickly, you know, whether it be 
rather recommending you do oral appliance or CPAP and not to be afraid of CPAP. It's changed and we're getting, it's getting quieter. It's getting the masks are getting more comfortable. Yeah. And it's yep. not a drug. I, it's I not can a drug attest to that. Yeah. You know, masks it's, definitely have gotten more comfortable. Over you know, the, and it could change your life. Um, so I would. And with insomnia, yeah, seek help. Almost, you know, 70% of adults are going to experience it in their lifetime. Don't let it go too long. Um, and then overall, just overall, realize that sleep is an important part of having a healthy lifestyle. You know, it's we need to make sure that we value sleep because it it'll just help you be a more happy and productive person in general. Um, you know, sleep along with exercise, regular exercise. And I'm not telling you, you got to be killing yourself, just movement every day yeah. and getting that sunshine and getting that light so that yeah. we can. Um, and eating healthy um, and be cognizant and mindful of how things that we put in our body, not only food, as well as other substances, how they can affect you. Yeah. Um, now, you we know, didn't talk um, about tobacco. We forgot that tobacco yeah. is another big stimulant. Nicotine will keep That's you. A, yeah. You know, um, this is this is an important point for for people who are. Um, facing surgery. So I see patients, you know, post um, knee replacement surgery to give them some some insights. And um, people have asked me even before they've had they're having surgery, you know, I, I use a CPAP machine, should I be bringing it with me to the hospital? The answer is yes, yes. absolutely. You know, the nursing staff, you know, whatever unit you're on will will help you with that. But absolutely, that's one thing you don't want to do is compromise your sleep post-surgery because that that's just going to compromise your healing. So uh, for anybody who's facing surgery and uses a CPAP, bring it with you. There's um, perhaps you have, this is a colleague that you're aware of. I I, I saw this in the, um, in the Star Tribune the other day. It was a... Uh, Sleep Well to Live Well article. And um, Jennifer Munt, I don't know if you know her, uh, yeah. is the director of uh, behavioral sleep medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. And she ended this article, which really complements your, your, your statement, Charlene. The purpose of sleep is not to hustle faster or grind harder during your waking hours. Mm -hmm. You can sleep simply because your body needs it and because your life will be better for it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think that that comes full circle with how we started this show. We need it. Our bodies just need it. And, you know, take advantage of those good things. So for our listening audience, sleep well. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you're tired, and, yes, go to sleep and 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 sleep well. And we hope that uh, if you're having a problem, seek the necessary help to assure that you're getting good quality sleep. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being with us. It's been a it's been an absolute pleasure for our listening audience. Keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, helpchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there. You can interact with us. You can communicate with us. Send us a message. You can comment on each episode. You can rate us. Uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Help Chatter team.
So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.